G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're talking about today how the flame passes on. Because there are lots of leaders. Now, whether it's business or clubs, churches and missions, as well as charities who are wondering about the direction of their pursuits. And a new year is ahead of us. And with almost 2,000 years of history, Since Jesus' incarnation, the birth of the Christian church and the expansion of mission around the world, we might assume that Christians should know a thing or two about raising up and releasing leaders. We might be interested in a dimension of divine wisdom in that. So today a focus on how the flame passes on from leader to upcoming leader and from one generation to the next We may be a little naive to suggest that it's just one message that accompanies the Great Commission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. Of course, what accompanies the timeless good news message is the discipleship dimension that raises leaders to navigate the storms of history to ensure the message has its transforming effect on people and entire nations. Our special guest today believes leaders should be thinking about their successors. Uh, Not successes, successors. Paul Rattray is the Impact a Nation Manager for CV Asia Pacific. CV stands for Christian Vision. Paul Rattray's book is called The First Will Be Last. He helps leaders manage a time for transition. And he oversees National Pioneers Initiative projects across the globe and is on the front line helping leaders navigate change. Paul, I might say a special welcome back to 2020. Wow, thanks, Neil. That's uh, that's uh, quite an intro. Yeah, thank you. Well, there's quite a story to tell, and there's a whole lot more I've discovered about you, which I haven't got time to talk about in the intro, but we might save those for another day. Hey, Paul, <laughs> the flame passes on. Uh, I wonder whether you've got a few general insights as we get into a conversation about this, because the idea of you know one flame lighting the torch of the next flame has got certain wonderful imagery to it. What are your thoughts on the flame passing on? Yeah, I mean, we have quite a few sayings and analogies in English that relate to this, you know, passing the baton. You know, passing on the flame, uh, we think of the the Olympics where the flame is carried from one Olympic Games to another, um, often in the sense of, of a race, you know, a relay race. There's also the saying, you know, you can't have success without successes, um, about disciples, you know, wanting to be covered by the dust of, of their rabbi, the idea of being working so closely uh, with someone that they are able to influence you positively in such a way that you carry on their legacy. So there, there's you know lots to be said about it, and I think a lot of us are aware of it. Um, but the reality is, 
uh, few put it into practice if you look at statistics, and statistics don't tend to lie. Well, this is going to be, I think, an essential part of our conversation today because we might all be turning the torch on ourselves and looking at our own leadership and wondering uh, where we are at in the idea of passing on the flame one generation to the next. And it doesn't matter what uh, situation you might be in. I mentioned uh, things like, you know, if you're involved in a charity or a business, if you're involved in a club, uh, mission organisations like you are, it doesn't matter what leadership role you have, somehow or other, what you're passing on is going to be important for the way that you can sustain whatever organisation you're working with. This is an important element, isn't it? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the... Uh, I'm a person who likes to think by analogy. You know, if I can look at something, that's why the parables of Jesus are always so interesting to me because they're sort of a, a really pithy way of presenting a truth. But uh, if you think about a use-by date on something... Um, Oftentimes, that particular food usually can be, you can still eat it and it can still be okay past the use by date, but it's not ideal. And at some point, it'll make you really sick if you push, push the boundary, push the envelope of use by date. Uh, and it's a good analogy for leaders who so often, I think, forget, um, even though we know that a little bit like death and taxes, it's coming. But we tend to put it off because it's perhaps something that either we don't think we need to think about now or we just wait. Unfortunately, with leadership, it doesn't have a clear-cut use-by date, and so we've actually got to work out those things ourselves. Lots of leaders say, Paul, I'm not planning on retiring anytime soon. Why bother about a successor? Uh, what you're saying about the use-by date really hits hard because we might all appreciate that sometime or other we're all going to reach our use-by date. Absolutely. And there's the other um, factor, you know, that we often can't um, predict and uh, we also tend to push to the back of our minds. But, you know, in a lot of contracts and, and a lot of legal documents, there's a term called force majeure, which essentially means that it's something that comes up that uh, is not expected, that cannot be dealt with with the normal um, legal process or contractual process. And that's often written into contracts in recognition that things come up in life crisis and conflict um, whereby you can't rely on a use-by date because it may happen before that. Uh, people keel over, people get sick, uh, people die suddenly and unexpectedly. All of these factors um, are often pushed to the back of people's minds, understandably because they're things that we don't like to think about, you know, especially us men, I think. We try and push issues of health and everything out of the, out of our mind, um, but the reality they're there ticking over. In some cases, it's like a ticking time bomb. We just don't know when it's going to go off. And some might separate the concept of being in business uh, from being involved in the mission. 
that Jesus has given the church. But there's, in one sense here, there's a... Uh, a, a synchronization of the two. Uh, if you're in business, you're as much in ministry in some sense as which you are if you're officially involved in the issues around the church and taking the gospel around the world. Uh, people who are in whatever circumstance, they're all at some point involved in the mission that we all talk about as Christians. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're meant to be salt and light, um, and that wasn't aimed at any particular... Uh, leadership role or 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 sort of demographic. Uh, we're all called to be salt and light. And so, you know, I, having read some of your writings, th- that's your thinking too. There's really no distinction um, between people who are, say, in business to people who are, say, leaders in a church. These principles apply across the board. There's not some sort of, you know, invisible dividing line between, uh, you know, well, if I'm in business, then I follow different rules and principles to someone who's uh, in a church. And it's interesting if you look at, say, some of the original words, uh, like, say, diakonos, which is often interpreted in church as deacons, but it's actually a role. It's the role of someone who ministers to or serves others, and it's from which the Westminster system in particular but the Western system more broadly, you know, we talk about things like a minister in government. We talk about a public servant. Um, in business, it's often talked about as servant leadership, as a particular uh, style of leadership where we are willing to serve others. What's often not talked about within that is that actually when we are in leadership as ministers, not in the church sense of the word, reverend, uh, we are called to a period of service and that period of service needs to end at some point. And if we want to be like Jesus and we want to be like Paul, then we have people prepared for that inevitability. In Jesus's case, it was being arrested and crucified, killed. In Paul's case, it was being put under house arrest And broadly, uh, if we have read history, there's the assumption there that at some point he was also martyred or put to death. Okay, we're into nitty-gritty. It's crisis that often triggers the succession. But if you've been interested in that before the crisis comes, you can actually have a smooth succession to a new leader and you don't lose all of the momentum that you've had Uh, in the work that you've been involved in. But there's something else in here. Sometimes we're living for the here and now, Paul, and uh, there'll be those who are in leadership saying, well, you know, if I'm working with other leaders, someone who's going to be a successor, you know, maybe I'm going to have a knife in my back. I'm going to be taken down by the corporate ladder climbers. Is there a fear, you think, in some leaders that they won't raise up another generation because somehow or other they've got to hold on to everything that they've gained at the top? Absolutely. And in fact, uh, one, of the, one of the three greatest known religious leaders of the world uh, is said to have told his uh, future leaders that you only provide your potential successors with enough information um, and knowledge so that they can uh, lead well, but they can't actually unseat you. 
Um, I won't mention from which um, major uh, religious faith um, he comes from, but I'll give you a clue. It wasn't Jesus. <laughs> um, but what Jesus said was that he uh, came not to be served, but to serve in Matthew twenty twenty eight, um, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's a really important uh, point to understand here. If you look at the original, the original Aramaic, that's the language that Jesus and the disciples spoke. The word minister actually comes from that. So minister to each other. Um, But we're also talking here about ransoming, sacrificing. The danger is that for, I think, especially Christians, we tend to look at the former and say, as long as I do that really well, I don't have to do the second part of that verse. Will you imagine if that's what Jesus said? Let's talk about Jesus because Jesus' model was with his disciples. So 12 disciples that became 11, but the idea of discipleship was about succession. So when we talk discipleship today, we are talking about succession here and who's going to take over, who's going to be the expansionary ones, the visionaries that go beyond. Give us your insights here into Jesus and the disciples being a really prime way of talking about how we think about ourselves as leaders and those who are following on. Yeah, I think... Again, you know, Jesus was the perfect leader, um, but certainly we can learn from people like Paul as well. And because of my focus much more on pioneering work, I tend to also learn a lot from Paul. But if you look at Jesus, you know, he made, first of all, to those that were going to be his future leaders, he made explicitly clear what their role would be. I will make you fishers of men. That's the first thing. We often don't make explicit what it is that we expect our successors to do because partly for the reason that we just discussed, I don't want to be unseated by someone. You know, I don't want a Judas. The reality is there will be Judases. Um, Jesus had a Judas. So Paul had people like Hymenaeus who stabbed him in the back. He said, all of the people deserted me um, in Asia Minor. It happens. Um, It should not be the reason why we're not willing to prepare people, because that's what Jesus did. And in that key verse that I just mentioned, he's not talking just about himself. If you look at the original version, he's saying to his disciples, you, you guys and gals into the future are to serve just like me, as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and i think this is a really critical thing to think about is what if jesus just fulfilled the first part of the verse as in he didn't come to be ministered to but he ministered to everyone perfectly as he did um would that have been enough no because he would have just continued on until he died As an old man, serving, as so many leaders do, men and women, they serve right up to the end wonderfully because the service is the means to an end. That is not the point here of what Jesus is saying. The the service uh, is, 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 is not the end in itself. What is the, it's the means to an end, which is the ransoming 
the willingness to sacrifice and hand over. How could the disciples have done what Jesus said they would do? He said, you will do greater things than me. The only reason that was possible is that he was willing to sacrifice his leadership for them, and in his case, literally sacrifice his life for them and us. This is a really critical uh, principle to understand. What would the story have been like? It would have been completely different. What would the story have been like in our projects? They would have been completely different because we wouldn't have had that ransoming, that sacrifice of leadership. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. We're talking about how the flame passes on and how leaders are raised up and released. Paul Ratray is the Impact Nation Manager for CV Asia Pacific. Paul, let's talk about how we know that the leadership succession is not happening the way it should because, in fact, there's some research and the the statistics are telling a story here. Yeah. I mean, certainly uh, statistics can be massaged, but uh, the reality is numbers don't lie. Um, And so whichever, you know, way you want to cut it, I, I, you know, statistics are ways that you can get broad trends of the way things are happening. And if you look at, say, research by uh, Christian Management Australia, there are few organisations in Australia that actually have a dedicated succession plan. So what that tells me, if they don't have a succession plan, it's very unlikely that they're preparing successors. Um, the Barna Group, uh, another a large group that does surveys of Christians and non-Christians, they found that um, there are in the States, there are more than um, six, uh, over, uh, pastors over 65, there's more of them now, so over 50% than younger um, church leaders under 40. Again, what that tells us that over half of the population of church leaders are people who are heading towards retirement, presumably without being able to replace themselves if that's the, you know, breakdown. And that doesn't just happen in in Christian organisations. The Harvard Business Review, they found that only 15% of companies in the US um, had successors to fill key positions, and it was just a fraction higher in Europe and Asia. Stanford University, slightly different stats. They found that only 54% of organisations are grooming specific successes and 39% have no viable internal uh, candidates who could immediately take over. And I think perhaps if we're, when we're looking at, at trends, one of the most concerning trends that's been found by Forbes magazine in their research is that more than 90% of millennials only expect to stay in a job for around about three years before moving on. And so that really suggests to me there's a big problem um, in the way that we currently manage and lead our organisations, especially with regard to the next generation. Paul, I wonder if we might just pause and reflect for a few moments there. When you talk about younger generations 
having much more a transient idea of what they do with their jobs. And uh, we might even be drawing a bit of a, a line there towards what they might think about church. Uh, moving from church to church. Uh, there's an old saying, you've got to be planted to prosper. I wonder whether having some stickability, staying around and pursuing some leadership levels and having a pathway forward might be something that a young person might actually aspire to rather than uh, the idea of moving around all the time. Any thoughts here? Yeah, if you look at, and I was talking about this recently because, um, you know, as you mentioned in in the introduction, um, you know, my role is to work around the world um, with people from different cultures, uh, predominantly in conflict and crisis areas, where we need to do what we've been talking about in every one of our projects. And so next year we plan to have projects in 100 nations. Uh, At the moment, we have them in around about 10 uh, places around the world. So for me, this is something that is actually very close to my heart and something that I'm pondering and really prayerfully working through myself because uh, we need to change the somehow the dynamics here, first of all, so that the older generation is willing to do what you just mentioned. In other words, put in a pathway and actually be serious about preparing people for the future. And I'm not just talking about training here. Um, the Harvard, there's a guy in Harvard, very uh, learned researcher called Ram Charan, who talks about a leadership pipeline where you're training new leaders all the time who could potentially take over. I'm not talking about this. There's lots of organizations that provide training ad nauseum, I've got to be honest. Um, This is not the same as preparing successes. This is intentionally preparing people to take over what we're doing. So for me, this is really important because if we want to put people, uh, predominantly younger people, into projects in 100 nations where there are you know, their conflicts and crises is part of the, and even if there wasn't, we've got to engage with this next generation and keep them. And I think the only way that you can do that is through relationship, first of all, and then secondly, through pathways that can actually give them a vision. You know, I was told by this researcher that I talked to recently who engages with a lot of young Uh, men and women in this bracket that we're talking about. He said they respond to relationship and stories. They don't respond to processes and data, which means that I've got to change the way I think because I kind of like processes and data myself, but this is about relationships and stories. Um, And so I'm of the generation before. I think you are too. So we need to be thinking about how do we engage with them? We may need to engage with them very differently than the way we engage with them currently and the way that we're comfortable engaging with, say, data.
and processes. Wow. I mean, uh, there's a missing ingredient I can hear you talking about here. And when you say training ad nauseum, there'll be a lot of listeners who are saying, are you talking about my workplace uh, where there's lots of training and lots of professional development and all of those sorts of things that a lot of people just go through as though they're you know, going through the motions. But uh, the missing ingredient, and I wonder whether there's a faith dimension here, which as Christian believers, we have a tremendous advantage in the way we can raise up leaders. When you talk about relationship, Paul, uh, this is the important thing bosses and relationship that come down through the staff or the volunteers and with this whole view in mind of raising up leaders relationship in here such an important ingredient yeah absolutely and yet uh, so often i think that 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 this sort of training that we get and i'm not knocking it by the way it's great but oftentimes this training to some extent is purposeless what I mean by that is I'm not knocking the content. The content is fine. But if we're not going out and doing it, you know, a little bit like let's have a seminar on prayer at church. Oh, hang on a minute. We better actually pray as well. You know what I mean? Um, and this happens in business organizations as well. Let's have a, you know, uh, we're going to have professional development on quality management systems. That was one of the areas of um, expertise that I worked in. Um, and that's all very well, but if you're not putting it into practice, um, it's something that in many ways can actually become a burden because everyone that's uh, coming into the training is like, oh no, here's another week of professional development doing something that hopefully we never actually have to do or we've got no idea how it applies to what we're currently doing, um, but we've got to do it. Or we get a nice lunch. You know, if we're volunteers, maybe we get a nice lunch out of this. I better go along. You know what I mean? Whereas Jesus was clear, I will make you fishers of men. And everything that he did with those men and women henceforth was for and to achieving that vision. Paul, before we develop another point or two, let's take a call from Julie, who is in Outback Queensland. Hello, Julie. Welcome along. Good morning. Look, um, well, two things, really. In following on from that wonderful scripture that was read out just after the news, my prayer would be to find a minister with a shepherd's heart. And regarding your conversation, I think that is the missing ingredient in the leaders today. I think that's what hasn't been passed on, is the shepherd's heart. Julie, what a wonderful insight. Uh, Paul, your thoughts for Julie? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point, and thanks for... Um Thanks for your prayer, because it's needed. Um, I think what we've found is that, yeah, I mean, everyone needs a shepherd's heart in terms of serving, but what we've found is there needs to be a balance there between uh, shepherds and pioneering people and entrepreneurial people, uh, those who can manage things, those who can market things, um, and what I think sometimes happens is that we tend to choose people that are like us. And so, you know, we've worked a lot around the world and we'll find sometimes that pastoral people or shepherding type people tend to choose people like themselves. Whereas if our focus is on new projects, pioneering work, 
we actually need entrepreneurial people and we need pioneering people to be able to go out there with the support of people who can help to shepherd and manage them. And so it's also finding that good mix within a team and within a group of people um, who have those different skills um, and different callings and different capabilities. When you bring them together, uh, it's a little bit like the rope of three strands analogy. I think that's when, when you really get your strength. Julie, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You can join in our conversation as we talk about leaders and how that flame passes on. I know you like to talk about uh, not being airy-fairy, not being uh, somehow rather wishy-washy around the idea of leaders. And I know listeners can hear in your own heart there, Paul, Uh, that you're saying you need to be able to choose the right leaders who are going to take the organisation on to the next level and being more explicit about how you prepare your successes. How do you describe that sort of thing? Well, I think, first of all, what Julie mentioned uh, in in her callback, just uh, reminding us that so many uh, leaders and leaderships these days are not starting out with the servant heart, with the re- really that, that um, motivation to serve others. That's the starting point because you need to be able to find people like that and you don't tend to find people like that unless you, as a leader, are leading like that. It's very hard to identify someone just using a checklist unless you actually have the heart and head uh, in, your, in the right place to be able to make those choices and watch people over time. And so this is why it's so important. Uh, There's a philosopher called John Williams who talks about the term true succession. And what he means by that is that um, the next generation are influenced by the previous generation directly. In other words, the previous generation is the one that's discipling the successors who are coming next. And a great example of that, of course, uh, is Paul, the apostle, who was very pioneering, very much an entrepreneur uh, in terms of the way he did things. You know, he came under quite a bit of criticism because he didn't act like a pastor. You know, he wasn't a great speaker. He said so himself. He didn't baptize many people. He uh, planted, but he didn't stay to water. He built foundations, but he let other people build on those foundations. And so that's why in Second Timothy 2, verse 2, when he's talking to Timothy and presumably to others like Titus, uh, he's saying to them, just as I've prepared you as successors, and they're much more, Timothy and Titus were much more like the shepherds, that Julie was mentioning. There were people who were pastoral people that were sent to look after the churches that Paul had started or planted. Um, he, he was saying to them, you need to do what I do. I've prepared you. You need to prepare men and women who are qualified so that then they can prepare others to do the same. Well, if you include Paul, that's four generations right there in that verse that he's talking about. How many of us are doing that? Paul, let's get very spiritual here for a moment. Don't hold back because while we talk about 
the way we think about preparing successes, how do we, do you think, uh, appreciate the presence of God in the pursuit of who the successor will be and how they're being prepared? The role of the Holy Spirit in all of this, because he's the one who's building the church. Uh, What are your thoughts here for the presence of God in the succession of leaders? Oh, absolutely. Um, That's why it's important to be praying to have people that are praying for you. And in all our projects, we have intercessors who pray for us, who share their insights with us. And it's very interesting in the, in the key passage that I look at my book and that I've already mentioned here, which is in Matthew chapter 20, uh, the parable of the vineyard workers. It's interesting that the disciples, like all potential successors, they recognized that the time was coming. In the case of Jesus, he was very explicit. He said, we're going up to Jerusalem, and when we go up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to evil men, and I'm going to die. And so he was preparing them in well in advance of this occurring. He was already letting them know, and we need to do that. But spiritually, He was preparing them. And then a very interesting interaction I find, fascinating actually, is when the sons of Zebedee, and in some versions, including their mother, which of course is a very Eastern thing for parents to approach a leader on behalf of their children, um, because they are wanting to sit at the right and left hand uh, of God, or or in, and they're not. I don't think they're thinking here overly spiritually. I think they're thinking about the succession. And so Jesus says to them, unlike in other cases where, you know, Peter, he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, when Peter really rouses on Jesus um, about talking about potentially going away is probably how they saw it, but about his death. But here they say, Jesus says to them, can you drink from my cup? In other words, this is the death, the succession. And they say, yes, we can. The interesting thing to me is that Jesus doesn't say, no, you can't. He says, yes, and you will. But the decision for who sits at the right hand and the left hand is the decision for my father. It's the decision for him who's in authority over us. And there's a practical element there where we have trustees and boards and mentors and and intercessors who advise us. But at the highest level, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about here, we have successfully passing on the flame, each leader producing successes. I mentioned to those who are listening There are lots of churches in Australia, somewhere 12,000, maybe some will say 15,000 churches in Australia. Every one of those, if there were a special succession plan, could be assured of growing and expanding, but without succession plans, it slows things down. Any thoughts there for the way things happen just on our own home soil here in Australia? Uh, Well, absolutely. Um, If every one of those uh, churches, if those leaders prepared just one um, successor, and I don't necessarily mean pastor, that's that's immediately what comes to mind, right? Everybody thinks, oh, a, 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 another pastor, a successor. There's lots of different roles in the church. But you imagine 
how exponentially great the impact would be and the incredible opportunity that would be for someone uh, in the, of the next generation to be prepared in that way and mentored and discipled uh, into a position of leadership where they can continue to take that church on. And, you know, we've seen that in the projects that we've run in these places where there's conflict and crisis. People have got the opportunity to prepare someone that they would never have done under normal circumstances, and that successor was able to continue the work on and get an opportunity to do something as a leader to impact their nation that they would never have got the opportunity to do if their predecessor hadn't been willing to sacrificially hand over leadership to them. Sacrificially handing over leadership, it's going to take humility, isn't it? And there are titles that people have. And for some, having the title is like being a part of, you know, having some glorious power rather than the extent of the servanthood that we were talking about a little earlier when you're talking about James and, uh, is it James and John? Uh, those sorts Sons of things. Zebedee, yeah. uh, yes. So, um, sorry. Yes. So, the extent of our servanthood is going to be an important element of how the succession happens and how the growth continues. Yes, absolutely. And in terms of values, you know, servantship, servant leadership, as it's described in the Bible, and and um, uh, also, uh, you know, Greenleaf. That is one of the uh, those who who in the literature and in, in management and leadership talks about this a lot. Um, but these are values, and I, I think what's really important to understand in what we've learned with sacrificial succession is is what we talked about earlier in when at the beginning. Um, if servanthood is the means to an end, then we don't need sacrifice. But if servanthood is, is, is only a means to an end, which the end is sacrifice, then uh, there's a different perspective and a different paradigm about the way that we lead because we have succession in mind. We are reflecting on it. We're thinking about it. And so in our projects, it's being absolutely explicit that no matter how long a leader plans to stay in an organisation, and the statistics say that most leaders stay in an organisation, this is both um, non-profit and for-profit, for about 10 years. Of course, there are exceptions, but that's what the, the core time is. If you've got 10 years, then as a leader, you need to be thinking about how am I preparing by serving, at what point do I need to sacrifice by handing over? And how long after I've handed over do I need to help to, to sustain that next um, generation of leader? Because remember, Jesus said to his ex disciples, you will do greater things than me. But there was a little bit of a catch there. He said, I won't leave you as orphans. I will, I will return to you. I will come. But there's a different role there being the Holy Spirit in us and through us rather than Jesus the master in a sense telling them what to do and there's a change in role with leaders and they need to understand those stages and prepare to outwork those stages within whatever time frame they have decided 
um, or they feel they're going to last within an organisation, keeping in mind that we have a use-by date and we don't always know when that use-by date is. Paul, how can we get really practical here for listeners who might be thinking, if I get out a piece of paper here, how can I plot what is coming or what has gone before? I know you like to think of a family tree, something like a genealogy, one generation of people to the next. How might you actually assess where you're at right now and even make a plan for what might come into the new year? Yeah, well, first of all, um, it's to look at it like a family tree. Um, and, you know, we have the Book of Numbers, which is a really um, <laughs> clear example of how names and numbers work together, uh, sort of in tandem, they to lay out how, um, you know, one generation interacts with the next and the next. But then secondly, is to actually look at the process. And so I've just alluded to that. The, the process within, it, within any time frame, and I, I don't think it can usually be less than three years. It took Jesus three years to prepare his disciples. But we need, we, and Paul, you know, look at his missionary journeys and, the, and working with people in particular areas took about three years cycle. Um, but that is... First of all, it's to serve. It's, we've got to come, just as Jesus told his disciples, which is us, I came um, not to be served, but to serve. That's a mindset. That's a heart uh, attitude. And then to actually serve people by preparing them, exactly like Jesus did. So that's getting a piece of paper out and saying, who are my potential successors? Are they servants? What evidence do I have that they are serving without expectation, the word logos? What evidence do I have that they are serving through their leadership positions, the word diakonos, from which minister and public servant have been drawn? Um, what evidence do I have of that? And then we need to think about the stage of handing over leadership, the sacrifice stage. There are a lot of practicalities with that. I was talking in a podcast with Wes this morning, who's an accountant. He understands there are a lot of details when you're handing over leadership, legal, authorities, structures, right down to bank accounts and signatories, all those sort of things. These take time. This handover stage is very important from a, the perspective of management transfer. And then finally, sustaining. And I gave the example of a very well-known uh, church, I won't mention the, the, the name, uh, in our state, where their leader spent seven years preparing a successor, spent about two years in the handover, and he's committed to at least that long again, another seven years, perhaps more, to uh, help to sustain this leader in his role and lead from behind. Um, and what he said to me was, he said, you know, in doing this, he said, what it's done is it's freed me up to invest in so many other um, young leaders that I would never have had the opportunity to do if I had stayed 
the senior leader. Paul, you're working with hundreds of leaders and even uh, leaders of leaders in mission contexts all over the world. Uh, Is there a a quick story you can tell about the sorts of things that happen when you've got this succession in place and things resolve and, uh, and growth happens? You're supercharging, in some sense, mission activity. Is there a story you can refer to? Yeah, yeah. So I was just looking at my numbers just to make sure I got them right. So currently, I, with a team of around about um, 25 leaders, we oversee around nearly 500, 478 people in uh, 10 locations around the world. Um, but when I thought about this, just a couple of stories came to mind. Um, and one of them is in a country that actually currently is in a terrible conflict due, due to a military coup. I won't mention the country. Um, but these particular people, they have been ethnic en- enemies for centuries. Um, and yet through doing this, and I can tell you it was difficult um, because the previous leaders, the predecessors, did not want to hand over to people that they considered their enemies. Um, But they did. And the amazing thing is that we have seen in this country real impact because everybody is talking about the fact that, wow, these Christians, they're willing to forgive. They're willing to reconcile. They're willing to hand over to people who have persecuted them historically. and pressured them at the very least, but often savagely persecuted them. Uh, You know what? People stand up and listen when they see this sort of evidence. They've got nothing to say against it. Um, In another place where it's more religious radicalism, again, I won't mention the country, one of our neighbours, we've had people who were religious fanatics and radicals um, who have had a change of heart And that change of heart has come through knowing uh, Jesus Christ, but also changing mindsets. And they've become peacemakers. And we've seen them hand over leadership to people that previously they would have attacked. And in some cases, the guys and gals that we've worked with, they've been involved in killing people from um, other faiths. Um, because they believed that that was the best way to achieve their goals. Now they're peacemakers. Now they're handing over leadership um, to people that were their former enemies. And once again, communities really stand up and and listen, and and they can see the impact. No one needs to talk theories with them when they can see this sort of impact and these sorts of changes. Another case, they're former guerrillas, uh, militant guerrillas who were trying to establish uh, their own uh, state. Um, They've changed. The general who used to run the show and they used to traffic arms and drugs and kidnap people, now they're peacemakers and they're going out and helping people with legitimate businesses to start to be able to get um, an income legitimately and peacefully instead of using the gun um, to get what they want. Um, Paul. Communities like that, they, they listen. 
because they know what these people were like and they know what the situation was like before this impact occurred. Wonderful insights today when you have a Jesus-centred leadership model to work with and uh, when you can talk about harmony between former enemies. We translate that into our own workplaces, into our own churches, into our own organisations. Wonderful things can happen. And uh, Paul Ratray, wonderful insight today. Uh, Paul is the Impact a Nation Manager for CV Asia Pacific. Paul has a book called The First Will Be Last. You've written a number of books, Paul. Uh, last time we were talking, you were there was a free book download that people could access. Can they still access that book on sacrificial they, succession? Yes, they can. Um, if they go to Business Blessings, um, then uh, they can still get that book and download that for free as an e-book. You mentioned business blessings and some listeners will be familiar with Wes Lake. Wes has been my guest on 2020 a number of times and uh, businessblessings.com.au is where you'll find a link there for that free download of Sacrificial Succession. Now, if you're in a leadership role, a management role, uh, you might want to take advantage of a wonderful resource, Sacrificial Succession. And uh, for your other book that I've been mentioning, The First Will Be Last, where's that one best available from? Yeah, well, they're essentially the same version of the book, um, and so that you can get that book there. There's two versions. There's a short version um, as a devotional, and there's also, which you can also get from Wes, uh, and then there's the long version of the book or the parent book, and that's, that's the one based on sacrificial succession. So they're both essentially the same. It's a parent book, and then there's a devotional, which is a very short version of we've talked about. Uh, as well as a long version if you really want to get in and study um, the the actual practical process of going through this from start to finish. And Paul, you're overseeing National Pioneers Initiative projects around the globe and uh, you're on the front line helping navigate uh, change. Uh, let me point people to also to cvglobal.co cvglobal.co where you can connect with Paul Rattray. Paul, wonderful to you get can. your... Yeah, yes. You can, and there's uh, an insights report uh, on cvglobal.co that you can access and read for free and download, and that will give you a lot of the backstory of our projects and what we learned through running these projects in difficult places. Paul, thank you so much for your great insights today. We'll do this again sometime soon. Thanks for being with us on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 